Hello and welcome back to another episode of Drama School Dropout. This week it's episode 90 and we are finally on the countdown to episode 100. I can't quite believe it. We're nearly at triple digits. It feels like genuinely 10 minutes ago that I recorded episode 10. So it's absolutely like you can't see me right now because this is an audio podcast. But I promise you my head is my mind is blown but before we get ahead of ourselves this week i am joined by an absolutely fantastic actor who you may know from starring in one of britain's most iconic soaps please welcome to the podcast michael parr drama school dropout no graduation day for you drama school dropout Welcome to the podcast. Hello. How are we doing today? Hello. Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just here in my um, my shared living accommodation in um, North London, and I've done all my actory duties for the morning. I had a self tape to edit that I shot last night which was, um, it was, it was a nice one, but it was really, it was really short. So I've edited that this morning and then I live in a place called Highgate. I was in London yesterday. Oh, whereabouts? Uh, I had an audition. I had a recall in Southwark. Ooh, fancy pants. Was for I'm, anything, for anything nice? I mean, I not talk about it? don't think I'm allowed to say. <laughs> yeah. Like Shakespeare and that kind of theatres like my shit right okay that, that's um, your job is it because it's the completely opposite for me it just doesn't interest me at all oh no i love it but i think it's just because i understand it and can kind of flex it on people yeah it, it, I, do you know what it's one of those it's a weird subject when uh where where i feel like you're supposed to like it you know as yeah. an actor, you're supposed to go isn't the text just wonderful and like it's it's such a discipline to get your mouth around the words and i was like yeah it is and and i've done it you know I, i've done my fair share of it but half the time when and this this is the best example i i can ever ever put i was front row at the crucible to watch dominic west and clark peters do othello yeah it was literally front row, and it was a it was a great show. Don't get me wrong; it, mm. it was they, they were they were awesome. They, they they smashed it, and then I was back row, literally the back row to watch Mark Rylance um, play Rooster Byron in Jerusalem. Yeah, and they He's just so don't, good. they don't they don't compare. Like the the it, and it's not because of the performances. I mean, obviously Rylance, you know, is is mind blowing as, as that part. But so so was Dominic Weston Clark Peters. It's just half the time with the text, it's saying things like, and the sun bounced off Anubis's, and I'm just sat there and I'm like, what the fuck yeah. are you guys, what are you talking about? I'm always playing catch up with it. It's Shakespeare for me is something that I feel like you need to have studied and then go and watch and that helps the performance. But if you're watching it and uh, you know, you've never seen it, you are just going to be sat there going, I'm not really sure what's going on here. Shakespeare is one of them things that, especially for me, my entire, because I'd, was in Macbeth in my third year of drama school. I played Macbeth and my mom and my dad and my sister, all my family, nobody's into the theater. Like they get acting about as much as, Oh, you, you're going to be on Coronation street one day. Like yeah. that's what they're thinking about. And I was like, I never let my mom and dad come to my performances because they're like waivers in the audience. And I was just like, I can't be asked with it all, but I was playing Macbeth. It was my first time playing a lead. And I was like, do you want to come? 
and they came and they were like, you were great, but I don't know what happened. And I sort of spoke to my lecturer about it afterwards. And I was like, I feel like I've done something wrong because they don't understand because you sort of had it drilled into you throughout that if you're doing Shakespeare because the language isn't today's language, your sort of job is to make people understand it and to make it going along. And she was just like, there's just some people that just don't get Shakespeare and it's just, it's just a different kind of thing. So it is an acquired taste. I definitely agree with you. And it's something that you need to sort of, at least have a base understanding of. Yeah, and, and I, I like it. Don't don't get me wrong. I, I actually prefer my restoration plays and my Jacobeans. I've done I've done more oh, of those than I. My my restorations give me PTSD. Which one? Your restorations. Yeah, we um. So that just for a bit of background context, the show's called Drama School Dropout. I dropped out of quite a prestigious drama school in Scotland, not the Conservatoire. I'll let you work that one out for yourself, um, okay. and we one of our last modules before i dropped out was restoration plays and i was in the bull stratagem and i was bullied by a lecturer and that's why i ended up dropping out it was all fun and games but i just had the worst time doing it no no i i understand and that's kind of um a running theme amongst drama schools isn't it you know yeah i, I hate the philosophy as is um the philosophy of you know like we like to bring you all in like we like to um strip you down take you down to neutral and then we build you back up and it's like yeah but do you build us back up and what's the point in bringing us down we're all different like why do you want all want us to be the same and then like we've got like 18 19 years of life experience why are you trying to strip that away from us when that's the the stuff that makes us different from everybody else yeah the the thing that i've discovered through my own sort of and i hate to use this word but i'm going to use it journey of drama school is that it all everything is about the lecturers and something that i really discovered this year was that when i went back after dropping out and taking that gap year i all of my lecturers this year were industry professionals that were still auditioning that were still going away yeah. on jobs and that had such a profound impact because they weren't just looking at it from an academic sense they weren't just trying yeah. to tick boxes of like oh yes you get an a in this it was really it's all been sort of tailored into it doesn't matter if you get a degree at the end, as long as you can become a performer and as long as you can confidently go out into the world and hold your own sort of thing, which has been massively great for me. And I would recommend it so much. Hello, it's Editing Ingram. And I just wanted to pop on because I was listening to that there while I was editing it. And I don't think that I really phrased that in the best way that I possibly could have. And I don't want anything to be misconstrued. So I want to like fully explain what I meant there. While I was talking about my experiences at New College Lanarkshire, and I said something along the lines of, it wasn't really focused on you getting a degree and it was more focused on you becoming a performer and being able to hold your own. Realistically, the two came hand in hand and it really was about getting your degree and there was still that academic support there and all of the rest of it. But in my own experience, compared to past experiences at drama school, God, how many times can I say the word experience in one sentence? It was just as important that you became a performer and learnt those life skills as it was to learn the academic skills. And I don't want anyone, I, I certainly don't want to do anyone a misjustice and talk about things that 
aren't particularly true because I just feel that I didn't really phrase that sentence in the best way. So it was focusing on getting your degree, but it was also focusing on becoming a performer and becoming an actor in your own right and developing your own style, which I think was so important and is what really led to my overall success throughout the year. So yeah, I just wanted to come on and quickly just tie up that knot because I feel like what I said wasn't entirely true and it was maybe just off the cuff in the moment but yeah so New College Lanarkshire 10 out of 10 would recommend. Yeah I think um, I, I felt with my drama school uh, training and I have to be careful here because I've just uh, I'm maybe I'm maybe going back to do some work with them but my whole point of like when I reached out to them and I've got an interview on Thursday for a, another drama school it was like and my philosophy was it was like you have to be taught by people who are actually out there doing it because there's modes and there's fashion and it changes and there's demands and you've got to know that like the the climate of how it is out there it can't be an actor who worked, um, you know, worked in the theatre 40 years ago to graduate, yeah. you know, about what's going on. There's like new technologies and tagging and, you know, editing software and cameras and lighting. It's all about your uh, self-taping ability now, really, unless you're, yeah. you know, I haven't, I've done two in the room auditions in three years. I've had two. two. Yeah, it's, it's all been, it's all been over self-tape. So if there was an, if there was a, someone's directing me who went to drama school and what I did find as well is that is a lot of the drama school teachers that I had were had graduated from the drama school and then just started teaching in the drama school immediately and it was yeah. like so you did the training and now you've you're teaching the training but you haven't trained how to teach the training either so it's like you're just it's mad it, it just, it's just not working yeah no it, it's really mad some of the things that go along and it's it's like I've said often it's it's such a profession that is unlike so many others because you get a law degree and you can become a lawyer, you get a doctorate and you can become whatever you're going to be. But with an acting degree, you can get an acting degree and you can become a manager somewhere. And yeah. it's all, it's all about like experience. And that's why it, new college Lanarkshire where, because I'm also not going to lie, there was a massive bit of snobbery about me at the beginning. Cause I'd gone from this sort of, prestigious drama school and then had applied for a college and got in and I'd went from sort of in my eyes I'd dropped down a level when going from a, a drama school to a college that offered a degree but the good thing about them was that they offer this entire module called audition and rep and it's still not over like I've got even though I've graduated I've got an audition on Friday with them and it's like just all of these industry people that just come in and do mock auditions and nine times out of 10, they haven't really been mocks. Like we auditioned for something not long ago, which was the worst audition of my entire career. And, oh, yeah. but one of my mates got a job offer. Right. Okay. And that's, what's been really, it's not like, let's sit and learn about um, Brecht or like, there's been aspects of that, like sit down and learn the techniques of Mamet and um, Meisner going to forget all of their names now, but, it's more about getting into this industry and knowing how to navigate this industry as a working professional, which was yeah. just really refreshing. And it was like a new take on all of the drama schools. And I think everyone should really follow suit. Well, and, and going back to your point then, I think one thing that is good about the uh, the drama school training that you said you can do it, you can get a degree in drama and then become uh, a manager of, of somewhere. And I think that's uh, actually because a drama school training is really applicable to absolutely... Yeah 
um, there's so many different jobs that you can use with yeah. a drama degree because your communication skills and your charisma is usually is usually you know way of a way higher standard than anybody else's and then you're just your ability to communicate with people it just comes in so handy in fact the, the head of um east 15 where i trained when i first started john baraldi he said he thinks everybody should do drama training because yeah. you learn so much about yourself not necessarily the drama you know the drama school training that we're slagging off now but you do learn you know a <laughs> yeah. lot about yourself and who you are it's basically three years of therapy yeah like i've never there was a meme not long ago that i i saw that was like you think your degree's hard try having to tell a room full of 30 people your deepest and darkest secrets at half eight on a monday morning exactly uh, i was laughing yeah. at that but yeah no i completely agree and i've said all the time about um having everyone like drama should be compulsory especially in schools because one of my first guests that I had on was um, a guy, one of my one of my best friends, little cousins, who went to the same secondary school as me and had got into acting. And like my old school don't even offer drama or music lessons anymore. And I'm just like, right. there are so many people like, because when I do like, when I did like my pre-degree course, which was three years and then you got your BA after the two, there was so many people that didn't carry on with the BA, but now like, stand up straighter or speak a bit more clearly or know how to do a presentation one of my mates ross i'll shout him out again after he's had a few shout outs on the podcast he did literally one year of drama training decided he didn't want to be an actor but then went and aced a business degree and he was like yeah i know how right. to do presentations and that now so yeah like i definitely yeah. agree that everyone should be forced to take some form of drama training at least once in their life and the, the other thing what you were you you were saying earlier was that you, you know you can do all the right things and you know you can go you go to law school you get a job in in law yeah but with with acting the, the frustrating thing about the industry and everything about it is that there's no clear trajectory you can go to all the classes you can have the best headshots you can nail an audition and get absolutely nowhere because the people, the producers decided to put the nephew in the role. And that was the role that you were auditioning for. And it, it's a very frustrating thing that you don't, I mean, you get it in many walks of life. You know, it's it's a lot more about who you know, yeah. what, you know, than what, than what you know. But this one really is a frustrating process um, because there's just, you know, you can do all the right things and get nowhere. And then you can meet somebody in a bar who's like, oh, you'd be great in this. And, you know, it, that's very rare, but it does it does happen. And that's so many people's stories as well. And so basically, I need to start drinking again and need to go back to bars. You need to get, get back on the booze, start hanging around at the old uh, Soho house, get down there. I'll, I'll book another plane. I've just got home, but I'll, I'll jump on another flight. I want to um, I want to rewind back a bit before drama school, because what I like to ask everyone is how did you get into acting and what was your first ever role and it doesn't have to be a professional one we love a good nativity story anything like that oh i mean i was definitely in the nativities i think there's a video of me just picking my nose somewhere <laughs> um you know with uh, with a towel on my head which you know just wouldn't go down very well you know any, anymore but that was yeah there's some was, weird that, that... i've got some weird stories from primary school with the shows that we did that we would not get away with anymore no you, you wouldn't be able to do that anymore you know like a beach towel with a hole cut in it and then a tea towel over my head you know playing one of the wise men i definitely did all that and then i 
I did Godspell as a musical. I, I did a lot more musicals to start off with than than anything else. I had a, I was fortunate that I had this high pitched voice that I seemed to know how to control, and <laughs> I I had no fear of being mocked or being laughed at. So I would audition for plays and stuff. Um, but my first role, yeah, would have been Godspell when I was about nine. I've been doing it for a, a long, long time. And yes. then I took a couple of years out because when I started high school, I was, you know, hanging around with, with some lads and stuff. And I just couldn't handle the persecution of being seen, you know, in the drama department. You it's know, mad, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it, 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 I, I don't know what it is, right? Because it really, it fascinates me, this whole thing. But like when I speak about it to other people and they'll be like, yeah, I didn't do drama in school because my mates like would laugh at me like i find that mad because boys are the first to sit down in the pictures and watch the new avengers film or yeah they'll sit down and they'll like it's not a it's not a like a laughable career but for some reason in secondary schools it is and it, it just it fascinates me that like mindset that current generations and previous generations have had I remember i don't know if you'll know him it was our uh, ryan clayton um didn't want oh, to yeah, do yeah. drama um I had him on the podcast. He didn't want to do drama in secondary school for the same thing. So him and his mates just used to clean the drama teacher's classroom because he didn't want it to get out of the lesson because oh, of his right, mates. Yeah. So the teacher would be like, well, if you're not going to do it, go and clean that room. But Ryan's like, I'm sat here doing this and I actually want to like yeah. learn about this. So it's absolutely mad to me. And it, it just, it fascinates me that rhetoric of like not being not doing it well it, it's also you know boys are you know in most circumstances are usually outside playing football playing rugby i i, I went to uh I, i'm from a rugby town so you know it was very geared towards yeah. you know, being a, an athlete or or something like that and then you, there's obviously a lot more girls in the drama department in, in a younger age than there are than there are boys because I always remember like I, I could I would watch the auditions for like the, the you know like the high school musical that they were going to be doing at the end of the year and I, I would walk past and I would see them doing um my fair lady and I was like ah oh, I want to audition but I don't want anybody to see see me audition yeah. and then I think I auditioned for one and then I got seen coming out and some some lads were like oh um pa you're gay you hang around with all the girls and I was like don't know if you can see the irony in yeah. what you're saying. Like me hanging around with all the girls does not make me does not make me gay. But you know mm. that it was just those kind of things. Because I've I've always I've always said like I used to get like not I don't know if it's the same because I, I'm I was straight, but I always always used to call every homophobic slur un, under the sun for, yeah. for doing for doing for doing drama. And it's those it's that kind of you know those those things that do put you off even as when you want to do it as much yeah. as you really do but i don't know where it i don't know where the psychology of like why why it seemed to be such a negative thing for young boys i, I think yeah. it's getting a lot better but i, I oh, think it's something to do with sport like i remember being in school and our final like so i was really the only boy bar maybe two others that had done our first show we did in year 10 which was greece and there was maybe three boys in that. And then in our last show, and it wasn't popular, like it wasn't the popular thing to go and do. And it was like, what the fuck are you doing? And then in our last year, year 11, we did Macbeth. Uh, no, we did, we did Macbeth, but also we did High School Musical. And um, I can't dance, so I couldn't play Tribolin, right? I also can't sing Plot Twist. Um, but like, so 
the girls had sort of done the rounds of being like, hey, we need boys to audition for this. And all of a sudden, these really cool, like the, the cool kids that peaked in year 11 um, came in and auditioned for this show. And all of a sudden, it was the most popular thing to do. And I'm sat here like, you really don't get this. Like, yeah. you do not understand that this isn't what, and they're like, I don't know why I haven't done this for years. And I'm like, because this isn't what it's like. But also, I don't think people quite understand that it's a career. You know, boys, you see it on film, but you don't know how they got to where mm. they to where they are. You see them on, you know, boys will watch, you know, like you said, all the Marvel films and be like, oh, Chris Hemsworth and stuff like that. But yeah. they don't know that those kids started really young <laughs> and this is how you get into it. If there was someone going around, you know, showing the early, early years of, you know, the, their careers i think a lot yeah. more young people would go oh right so i've got to do this to get to there then i can get to there then i can get to here yeah i don't know i think as well because i used to talk to my um my drama teacher about this i grew up in the northeast so like there was always the connotations of billy elliot where i lived and it was always that picture of the kid doing ballet which i don't think helped anyone's yeah. picture but i don't know it just sort of like i don't it's always fascinated me and it's always because it's even it even spilled over into like mainstream media and stuff like with high school musical like that is all proper just like toxic masculinity and all of that and it's just i don't know it'll always fascinate me but I, i'm not going to go and do a psychology degree to understand it to the proper lengths that i want to understand it to well so, um, some good but i don't think i've got the mind for it either yeah me neither um talking about drama school and that though you went to east 15 um, one of my favourite things that I love to ask everyone, and um, I've done whole performances and one-man shows about them, do you have a favourite funny or crazy story from drama school? Because shit goes down behind those doors and nobody will ever really understand what goes down behind those doors. Hun hundreds of stories of, like... I mean, I, I, I wasn't... I wasn't particularly liked at drama school because I was just like, because, you know, it's it's widely known as a method acting school and stuff. And I was still not mature enough to take it seriously. I, I was kind of always like, really, do we have to be this serious about it? Like, was that yeah. from what we're doing? Um, but I understand, you know, it, it's, a, it's a method and technique for everyone. It just, it just wasn't quite for me. But we were doing... Um, we were we had a we in our second years they do like the American plays so it's like Cat on a uh, um, Tennessee Williams and and stuff like that and I, I actually can't to my shame I can't remember the name of the play that I was that I was in but half of the group was in one play half of the group was in the other and uh, in the second year you were only ever got to to perform to a, a live audience once you know you were trying to build yeah. up and it was your peers it was just like there was three groups in my year and we were doing we were doing one play and then the other play started but just as like about 10 minutes before the audience were about to come in the director was like I'm not sure if the audience are going to understand that one play has just finished and uh, another play has just started so she just kind of looked around and she, I won't I won't say his name she just she just points at my friend and she goes, oh, like, would you, um, in your American accent, just continue it, turn to the audience, explain that the next play was written by Tennessee Williams and just, um, you know, tell them a little bit about it. And he kind of panicked, but, you know, wanted to please his di director. Yeah. So the audience come in, he does his play, his play ends, you know, you do that classic drama school thing of, of like freeze and then exit. 
But so he freezes and then he just turns to the audience and then he, for some reason, his accent just went right out the window. And bear in mind, <laughs> I've got I've got the opening line of the net of the of the next play. He turns to the audience and just goes, um, the next play was written by Tennessee Williams. <laughs> he based his life on the event. And I was like, what that doesn't even make it. And how can you base your life on an event? Like, like I had to start, the, like he just got tripped over his words. He panicked. His accent went right out the window. I oh. started laughing. I, I'm so bad uh, for laughing on stage. I never do it on set. I mm. never do it when there's a camera in my face. But when um, I think the pressure of performing in front of a live audience, I'm very giddy. Like there's always just something where, I mean, people listening won't be able to see it, but you know, if, if I'm looking, if we're looking each other's eyes yeah. on stage and I just see you go, you just, you know, like your eyebrow dip, I'm going to, I'm going to start yeah. going, oh God, I'm really fighting not to laugh now. Yeah. I also have no problem. I'm so, I'm just not a professional. I also <laughs> have no problem trying to put the other person off on stage. It just, it just, it's just like, it's a little game in my head that I can't get out of. <laughs> That's probably why I don't work in, in the theatre very much. There's, it just panics me. I remember, so two weeks ago what what weeks are we in yeah so i was in vanity fair two weeks ago and the fair opening night right everything's went so well the entire rehearsal and opening night comes on and there's this we do like this whole movement piece at the beginning it's a bit wanky but student production do you know what i mean um i'll probably edit that out because i still like the director um so we do this movement piece and then me and my mate cole shout out um we got changed into wigs and skirts because we were playing like pan or dames for the first scene and we were playing teachers and I come on and I'm supposed to bring on this girl's leaving book and it's all about and it sets up her character for the rest of the play and it gets to the point when I normally used to just tuck the leaving book in the side of the skirt because I had no pockets and it got to the point I went oh I don't have it (sighs) I was like, fuck, I can't do anything. And there was a piece of paper sitting on the desk. So I just took it and grabbed, uh, folded it in half. <laughs> and then because I threw that scene off entirely because I didn't have the book, there was a point later where my mate just forgot all of his lines and it got to the point where it was like, you've got to actually now set up the rest of the play. Like, this is important shit. Oh, Jesus. And there was that silence on stage and I just turned around and went, but what about this? And it was it was horrible, and I, I just I don't like things like that. I like everything to just go swimmingly and perfect. Well, I mean that is the way it's supposed to go. But that's the thing about live theatre. I saw I was lucky enough to see Jerusalem twice last week. Yeah, I saw the understudy run on Tuesday, the matinee, and then I saw it on Thursday evening as well. Uh, Rylance both both in performances. Mackenzie Crook on the Thursday, the understudy run, and the understudy just blew them away. It wasn't. It wasn't even close. They were so much hungrier for it. Their timing was on. They weren't as um, they they weren't as over rehearsed. And you could tell on the Thursday that they were getting tired. You know, like there was a couple of line slips and you know, like people tripping over the words and 
and stuff. It was still a it was still a great show, and I think maybe that's why you're not supposed to watch theatre more than once. It's meant yeah. to be a one. It's meant to be a one time thing, and if you watch it too much, you do start to go, "Oh, that's a little off, actually." But I would never have noticed that had I not seen it before. So I don't really know where I'm where I'm going with that. Yeah, no, that is a good point, actually. Only yeah, maybe theatre because I've I've never understood the people that can go and see the same West End show fifteen times. No, no, that doesn't doesn't do it do it for me either. and the price of it as well. Yeah, like, how the do you go and afford that unless you you know he yeah. says in his house in Highgate. Granted, <laughs> uh, accommodation though. By the way, I live with four other people. But that that was another thing about is a thing about acting. I used to I used to live in LA. I used to have my own place in Walthamstow, and the pandemic there was just no no way yeah. for me to make any any cash um that you know was able to sustain my life so I, I felt like i was taking a massive step down and like you were saying you know going from like yeah. a, a prestigious drama school to then going to college i i felt the same about moving into this place but it actually has turned out to be the best thing that yeah. ever that's ever happened to me really yeah because you're one of the lucky ones that you, i think it's your mum that's american isn't she she is. Yeah, she so is. you you don't need a green card and you can just travel back and forward as you like. I can, but it's not as it's not as easy as you know as it as it seems just because you, when you get there you don't know anybody and you yeah. need a network around you like getting and American managers they're so much more um business orientated than uh, than the Brits. They don't really want to know unless you've been in something. Like I, I still struggle to get uh, American auditions because they're like, well, you're not riding the back of anything anymore. And it was like, it was only because of Emmerdale that they were like, oh, he's just come off, yeah. off this, um, cr- you know, crazy show in, in the UK that like in, in, you know, in, and when I got to America, I, I really had to change my attitude of how I, um, of, of auditioning and meeting people because in England, you know, you're very, we're very humble and, you know, people like, oh, so you're in a, in a show called Emmerdale. And I was like, oh yeah, but it's, you know, it's just the soap. But when I got there, I realized that they didn't like that at all. Mm. And I could, I could see I was losing the room. So when I got over there, I was like, oh, it's in, it's, it's the best show on TV. It's, it's been running so many awards, it, but it's won BAFTAs, you know, it, it it's done all this. They like that. Mm. You know, we're, we're a very, it took me like about a year to, to get my head around that. So it's, I do like going over there, but it also, it, they do not operate in any same sense that, that yeah. we do. Just the way that, that we audition. They want you to hold the, the sides. I know they it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, they don't want you like being too prepared because they see it as you're like, oh, well, we don't want to see the final product. We want to see what we can work with. Whereas the English attitude is like, no, fucking put the razzle dazzle on it and show them yeah. that you the part. Hmm. No, I am. Um, I love LA, like one of my favorite places in the world. And I've always said by the time I was 30, I want to live there, but we're creeping ever closer to 30 and it's not looking any closer. So, um, yeah. But no, I get what you mean. Like I went to an audition yeah, two two weeks ago for a fringe show. It wasn't anything massive, but I was the only person that was off book with a monologue. And it was a monologue that you could choose. Mm. It was like, just prepare a monologue that's like three minutes long. And I was the only one in the room that sort of didn't fuck up and didn't yeah. look at a script. And I'm like, you got to choose it. Well, you didn't have to learn anything new for this. Do you not have a monologue that's in your back pocket that you can... Well, they, they do, but they don't like their their theatre scene is just so slack com- compared to ours. Mm. They probably don't have a monologue because they've they probably no. This don't. was in Britain. Oh, that was, was in Edinburgh. 
Edinburgh oh, Fringe. Right, I thought you were saying that was in LA, right? No, okay. no, if I was in LA, I wouldn't have came back. I'm in LA. Uh, 10 days when I was 19, and it was one of those really weird things. Do you know when people say to, say to you, like, um, it was just a place that I really like, fell in love with and just felt at home, and you look at them and you go, you're talking out of bullshit. Yeah. That happened for me in LA. Never got lost once. Just felt like I knew where I was going. And it it's, was just like... It's very glamorous. It's very seductive. You know, that it's exciting. So many things to do out there, but it's got a real dark side to it. Yeah. Like I, I think you'd need like three years out there before, you know, before you'd, you'd feel like home. Because Americans, and, you know, I feel like I've got every right to say this, you know, being half an American, we're not the same. We yeah. speak the same language, but we're not on the same on the same page. Not at all. In, in in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I don't particularly have much of an accent anymore. You know, I, I left my hometown when I was fifteen, and I've lived all over. But they just can't understand what I was saying. Yeah. Like they they look at me. You know, when you when you talk to a dog and you're like, "Who's the best boy?" and the dog dog will like turn its head to the mm. side. That's what Americans do when I talk to them. <laughs> They're like, "What is this guy talking about?" Yeah. No, it is, it's it's so mad, and it's just even the dif- the smallest differences. Like I remember, like going out for a meal and having to sit there for ten minutes trying to figure out how much to tip someone, and yeah, all all that, and then going around the shops and then being like, oh, and you've got the fifty dollars tax on top of all this, and I'm like, fucking put it on the label at the fucking I know, it shelf. Ma- it, make, it makes no no sense. But the money that you make out there is insane because when I first signed with my um, my reps over there. Um, they asked me how much I was on at Emmerdale. Mm. And I'll, I'll get, like, I, I said, and I won't say the, the figure, because, yeah. I mean, it changes anyway. I, mean, I don't know. If people none of our fucking that. business. But we, can, but we can talk about that later, because I'm not afraid to talk about the, the, the money side of, of acting. Um, I think it's something that we, people need to do more. But... Um, they they were like, how much were you on at Emmerdale? And I was like, you know, it depends, you know, if I had a good year, if I was busy. And I was like, you know, any anywhere between 80 and about 110, you know, grand. And they were like, is that an episode or a month? And I was like, I was like, I, I, I got embarrassed. I wanted the ground to swallow me up immediately. I was like, no, that that's a, that's a year. And they were like, why would you do all that work for so little money? And I was like, well, now you're fucking saying it. I don't know why I did it. <laughs> And they were like, how long would you, how long were you on the show for? And I was like, five years. And they, they said to me, they, they were like, if you did that here, you'd have 10 mil by now. Yeah, they, they, you do always like, you never hear like a, the thing that springs to mind is like Friends when they all sort of got themselves like a million an episode or Big Bang yeah. Theory when they've done the same. You never hear about that in Britain, do you? You never like, you never hear like the cast of Still Game came together and got themselves a pay rise. Well, I did, I do know that I think there were six members of Game of Thrones that for the final season, they got a mill. They were, yeah. they got a mill. And you can, you can fit, you'll be able to figure it out, you know, which, yeah. which people who, who got it. And, Kit Harrington. And, <laughs> yeah, Kit. And, uh, and right, and rightly so. Yeah. But then I also, I've got friends who were in it, who, who were Irish and they were local hire because, you know, for and they've, they've not made anything from it. Mm. And, they make a lot of their money from comic cons and stuff yeah. like that, and it's because it's a really weird thing with that with acting money. Um, I was I was uh, on a job once. We were on a, on a short film, and um, this actor he had been booked in to do an advert, and the day before the morning of the shoot, 
they rang him and was like, listen, we're going to go a different way on it, but we're going to, we're going to pay you your day fee because, you know, we, we booked you out, but they sent him the wrong contract and he would have got 120 grand for a global buyout on a Twix advert. Yeah. I was like, who came up with that number? Who went, oh, should we pay him a hundred grand for the day? And someone went, not enough, mate. 120. It's like, who comes up with these ridiculous yeah. numbers for actors? It's crazy. Because mm, it is, there's just this, it, there's also such a stark comparison between doing acting for free and sort of getting your expenses covered. And then there's the people on the other end of it, like who sits down and actually goes, well, here's the pay scale. Yeah. I, I don't know where it comes. And I think um, streaming services have changed it. You know, there's more streaming platforms now than there were TV shows 10 years ago. It feels yeah. like you know, there's there's so many Apple, Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, you know, the, there's so many of them. There's just so much more work out there, but it means that they, you know, they're not paying as big a numbers. And mm. I was like, I, it's kind of better because you've got more opportunities to make money, but you just don't make as much money when you do, when you do land a, a big role. It's kind of changed and I don't know which one's better. But do you not just feel like with these streamers like Netflix that it's the same five people that are leading all of their shows and films? Well, that's the other thing about this industry. Because I feel like Netflix have got like a deal with Rebel Wilson at the moment. Oh, she's, she pops up. She gets where Sand wouldn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. I, I, and she's great. And she is No, great. I love her. But eventually you do start to go like, oh, God, can we have some new new faces? Mm. Because you do get over familiar with your audience. You know, you should you should play it safe. But which actor want which actor ever would go? No, let yeah. somebody else. Yeah, no, I won't you do don't the know job. Where your next job is going to come from. So it's like, well, I may as well just get in there, make as much cash as I, I can and then ride it out until my time comes again. Yeah, yeah, because I was reading as well not long ago and it was about sort of how streamers had done this thing where they had relied so much on their talent, like um, Orange is the New Black stars were getting used a lot in Netflix purely because Orange is the New Black was like Netflix's first big thing. But then they had said like the juxtaposition of that with all of the cast of Squid Games, like they were relatively unknown in the UK, like even though they're quite famous in Korea, it yeah. was like showing how well a TV show with nobody being known in it can do in the same with Heartstopper that just came out. I don't know if you've watched it. It's a great TV show. Um, no. It's got Olivia Coleman in like three scenes, but the rest of them right. are this just brand new cast that haven't really done a lot. And I think that maybe things are going to start to change. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I hope so. Cause it, it, it will, um, you know, it gives uh, a platform for new voices and new faces to be seen, but it's an industry at the end of the day, you know, yeah. and anybody who's on those, who's in those parts, it's not necessarily because they were the right person for the job. You know, it's, it's very much about who your agent is. If your if your agent also represents the casting director, that is, you know, is, is Madness, um, in the it? job. it's, it's a real like internal little business and that it's and it's a hard one to penetrate if you booked a west end job tomorrow it's a one month run in the west end it's in a two-person play and they just say to you who do you want who do you want to be your co-star and you can pick anyone in the world as long as they're alive who are you picking <sighs> wow okay now do i look at this from a business standpoint of who's going to Bing, bring in the audience because my name's not selling it. 
Um, but I, do you know what? I don't know why Nicolas Cage was the first person that came That's to my That's a good shout. I don't think he's been said before either. I think, you know, I, I really rate him, you know, The Rock growing up and like uh, yeah. Face Off. And then, you know, you see some other films and it was like, wow, he made some bloody bold choices for, <laughs> yeah. that, for, that, for that one. And I love that because... I've always said, and I got called this at drama school, which one thing that kind of scarred me, kind of stayed with me. I don't know if they did this at your drama drama school. Um, at the end of every turn, the teachers kind of like sit down in front of you and tell you basically what they don't like about you and what you need yeah. to work on. We got it written yeah. for, Matt. All oh, right. Okay. Even worse. Um, not even got the time to do it to your face. Great. Um, <laughs> well, it was because of COVID. <laughs> Oh, of course. Sorry, right? Yeah, I was like a coward. So bloody coward. <laughs> I like them, so I've got to back oh, them up in some way. Well, we—I was just, you know, wild and trying to make everybody laugh, prattling around. You know, when we were doing our voice exercises, I was just like, "Surely this is 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 yeah. silly." Everyone's got to understand this is a little bit silly. Um, and then at, at the end of um, getting a good roasting by about six teachers, one. One teacher was just like, you know, like all the things you've said, they were like, I, I don't know about that. I think that's the thing that makes him different to everybody else. And then one teacher said, she was like, you're an ace card. You're either going to be the best or you're going to be the worst because I make such bold choices when I'm acting. Like, I'm not afraid to, like, I call myself an overactor all the time. Yeah. You know, it's just like, this is what I want to do. This is what I think is, is selling it. If you don't like it, that's fair enough. If the yeah. director doesn't like it, then I'll change it. But I'm not changing <laughs> it for the audience. Yeah, no, I, I completely get that. But with the West End thing, I have to carry on my um my campaign that is now nearly 90 episodes deep. Catherine Tate, please come on the podcast or please do a two-person show with me in the West End. Either Catherine. or, you'll make me the happiest person on earth. Catherine Tate is, is the one for you because yeah. she's got a new film out recently, hasn't she? Yeah, the Nan movie came out, then Hard Sell, the TV show on Netflix, which is great. Um, some mixed reviews, but I liked it. I just, I don't know. I grew up with her. Like, I grew up watching the Catherine Tate show. It, maybe in past years, my answer would have been Matt Lucas or David Walliams, but I, I don't know. Little Britain just kind of isn't on that level anymore. So, no, it's not. And it's, it's funny because, uh, I've uh, I've just signed up to do some stand-up comedy, which I I, start, I did at drama school, mm. and it's always something I wanted to get back into because I think it's the it's the out of all the mediums, stand-up comedy you have the most direct relationship with your audience. Yeah, you're not hiding behind anything. You're not nothing's been written for you unless you've got a ghostwriter, which <laughs> kind of goes against the you know the whole the, the, art the whole premise. That. Um, but I was, you know, I, I was like going through, like, I'm just looking for material. Basically. I was like, I just need to get 10 minutes together. And then there was like a lot of things that I was like, I used to joke about. And I was like, yeah, I'm not sure that's going to go down so well yeah. anymore, you know? Um, cause it, it changes all the times, but there's this invisible boundary for, and that that's put on by social media platforms about what the rules of comedy are, but it's like, well, if it changes and we and we don't sit down and like figure out any rules to it, then yeah. like why are people getting cancelled for it? They just made a mistake, mm. or they, all jokes come from the same place to make you laugh. Just because you're offended by it doesn't mean that it had any more intention of doing you any harm yeah. than the joke that did make you laugh. 
Yeah, because because uh, I was talking about this with another guest, I can't remember who it was, and they said, well, why wouldn't you want to work with Matt Lucas or David Williams? And I said, no, I really would like to work with those two, but what they are iconic in my mind for, you can't do anymore. No, you can't. Um, and like, nobody thinks really about David Williams' children's books. <laughs> I mean, when you're our age and yeah, when you're yeah. older, you associate those two with Little Britain, which was dark humour and you can't do that anymore and for a right reason that you can't do it but don't get me wrong I'm not gonna who would turn down two of the greatest comedy duos in Britain but yeah, yeah like I feel like I could still do stuff with Catherine Tate that she's iconic for do you know what I mean yeah but yeah no it's a it's a weird one and it's like even I sit and think sometimes and I'm like things that I said 80 weeks ago on this podcast I'm like I wonder if any of that will ever become too too risky for an audience and it, 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 oh, it definitely certainly will yeah you know, uh, and the and the good thing about it is is those people that persecute you for for what you've said they will have said things that just won't won't be in vogue uh, you know in yeah. 10 years time and hopefully someone pulls them up about it yeah and, no, you know, it's mean, well, hopefully somebody doesn't and we just stop this mental pattern of being like oh god like what they said something 30 years ago and it's not in taste now. It's like, yeah, well, it's not in taste now, but it was back then. And and yeah. you know, what do you want me to do? Repent for all the words that I said 30 years ago. Yeah, because I think, because I, I was talking about this, the same thing with Little Britain. I, I, it got taken off of everything and it was taken off of Netflix. And I don't think that we need to worry so much about things that happened 20 years ago. I think there's a lot that we need to be worrying about that are happening now. And our biggest concern shouldn't be a TV show that was made 20 years ago and there's because there's going to be things today's audience like i i think if you look at certain things that were even said on soaps like there's lots of things that your most beloved characters of the country said like june brown and barbara windsor that aren't so much in taste anymore and i don't know i think britain are really good at trying to cover up things that they did badly at and i think that that's just something that maybe needs to change well, it's, it's funny that you should mention that because I was like, why in, English people have this um, stiff upper lip attitude? We don't like talking, you know, about what's really going on. Because uh, we like, invaded everywhere and took over half the world. I think it's from that. It's from hundreds of years of like, you know, like the ships getting back and people like going like, oh, um, how was it in, in- India? And, and everyone going like, oh, they love us there because you can't really go. Yeah, we've absolutely slaughtered millions of them. Yeah. And because, so I think it's like this like trickle down um, effect of like, just don't fucking talk about the truth, actually. Don't talk about yeah. the ele- elephant in the room. And it's this weird little thing that English people have. It's mad, isn't it? It's a strange one. It's a strange one. Yeah. I want to talk to you a little bit now about Emmerdale, because that's what most of the listeners will probably know you from. Uh, yeah. You were there for five years and then you left in 2018. So if I do my quick mental maths, that was 2013. I didn't write that year down. Um, what was the audition process like for you? Because it's from people that I've spoke to in subs, it's so vastly different for everyone. I um, I was with uh, a good agent at the time and I had been on a bit of a run. I think I had like bagged like five, five jobs that year you know i got like a part in two dramas only like walking on you know speaking roles just a day player yeah um, and then i did casualty hollyoaks and doctors um in a year it just like things started to to you know to snowball and i had um a, a powerful agent and then i got dropped 
I was about to go on stage to do, help my friend do like, do like a police reenactment thing. It was like a 150 quid for the day. And I was like, yes, yeah, sweet. I'll, I'll, I'll come and yeah. do it. Just as I'm about to go on, you know, I'll, I'll just check my emails. Oh, um, email from agent. And it said, this is a really difficult email to write. And I was like, fuck, I know what that's going to say. Just mm. threw my phone over my shoulder, went on stage and balls everything up. Like got everything wrong because I was just so in my head about be, being dropped and I was like there's not like I was going I had gone through a breakup at the time and um you know I was just like being in London with that without representation is really not a good spot and I was like I got five jobs that yeah, year. what have I done wrong how could I have been dropped and it was nothing to do with me there was a mutiny in the office and you know some agents walked out but you know you're not allowed to take it other clients to you know to competitive um, competitors so I got kept on so basically I, I get dropped Mm. and i'm sat there and i'm gutted i'm fuming i'm down i'm upset i'm all the things that you're going to be and i just i was so determined i was like i'm getting i'm getting another agent so i got my i got my show reel to i got some new headshots wrote to as many agents as i could and one got back to me i go in i go into the office i do some monologues for them show them my show reel about a week later i get signed First audition that comes in was Emmerdale. I was I was doing a short film with a friend. Get this call. Oh, um, Emmerdale would like to see you. And I was like, oh, brilliant. Um, of course. I put the phone down. Then my old agent starts ringing me. And I was like, what? And I was like, oh, hi, Michael. And they were like, we've seen something come through on Spotlight. Um, can we put you forward for it? And I was like, is it Emmerdale? And they were like, yeah, and I was like, well, I've, 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 I've been signed by another agent and I, I've already got an audition for it. They were lovely. They were like, oh, Michael, we're so happy for you. You know, we're over the moon. Yeah. We, you know, it's not what we wanted, but it's just, it's business. It's not personal. And I was like, it fucking feels pretty yeah. personal, to be honest. <laughs> so I put down the phone, give the finger to the phone. I was like, I am getting that job for no other reason that you, you will think we made a mistake by dropping it. Yeah. So... Uh, I go into the audition. Um, it was with the lovely casting director. Shout out to Faye Styron. She's uh, she's a very lovely lady, and she makes the audition process, you know, feel very very comfortable. Mm. I, Hi, I, Faye. I am available for auditions. My email's down in the oh. show notes. I hope you're having <laughs> a very nice yeah, day. He's a northerner as well. Yeah, can, can do the accent. No, that's a terrible. I'll edit that bit. I, I, that was a terrible accent. Don't worry. I, don't I can think do the accent. From Yorkshire in that show. <laughs> Anymore. Uh, but yeah, available for auditions, fully free. Will work for pretty cheaply as well. And she will get you in. She's really good like that. She is a really, she's oh. a really nice casting director. She's one of the ones. If you write to her, she gets back to you. I'm sure she doesn't get back to everybody, but you know, yeah, you know, yeah. there's millions of actors out there. <laughs> so I have, I have uh, audition number one, and oh, actually, I'd auditioned for Emmerdale about four months before that, and luckily Faye was off, and the girl that I did the audition with. I stank the place out so badly that like I couldn't remember my lines. I swore, I looked at the camera, I did everything wrong. And I was like, there's yeah. no way Emmerdale will ever get me back in. Cut to four months later, audition. Um, I do one and then I do two. And then the producer, um, the lovely Kate Oates, um, who's like the soap wizard, you yeah. know, turning soaps around and, you know, because they go through lulls, you know, but we can talk about that. Um she gets me in. I I read with um, Sophie, and then they're like, "Oh, we'd like you to come up and do another round of auditioning." And now in this audition, there was like eight of us, 
and they take us into this room and they put us in a semicircle. And the guy who was running the audition goes, um, he starts on the other side of the semicircle and he goes, tell me something that nobody else knows. And I was like, I was going to be last. So, you know, I got, I got time to, to figure it out. The first two lads admitted that they'd slept with their best friend's girlfriend. And I was just like, you fucking idiots. You basically just told like your potential you know, employers that yeah. you're a rap bastard and you can't be trusted. So I was thinking you meant something along the lines of like there's 452 beans in a can of Heinz beans. Yeah, well, that would have like that would have been so much funnier, you know. If like, yeah, obviously they meant it to be personal, but I, like, if somebody had said that, I, I would laugh. I would have screamed the place down. But so those guys, they immediately like marked themselves out of the job. Yeah. So I like made a mental. I was like, well, they're not my competition because they're idiots. Yeah. And then a couple of lads did anything. And then I just kind of was like, I'm not going to lie, but I am going to say something that I re- relate to the character. And the, Ross's ent- entrance to the show was that he had daddy issues. And, you know, I, I have them as well. So I just kind of said a truth that related to me and to him. And I just said like three, three or four words when everybody else had like given like two or three minute answers. Mm. And then I just stared him, stared him down. until he got uncomfortable and I was like I just knew immediately I was like that's what they wanted they wanted impact then they got like that audition went by and then they got us in for like a screen test we do the screen test with the actual cast and that's nerve-wracking because there's a director there's a crew you got three cameras on you and was working with Kane Dingle who I was like I've been watching ever since you know since I was like remember remember i was working with um she ended up playing my auntie moira but nat j rob who's like smoking hot oh i i the one thing i love about natalie rob is um the glasgow kiss scene obviously oh, from yeah. glasgow there's a kiss from glasgow it always makes me laugh and it always does the rounds on twitter but and she's she's so much fun to have around yeah. on set you know, she's always like you know kicking you in the back you know like that little place yeah. in your knee that makes it like makes you jaw <laughs> like you know pratt- we're always pratting around mm. uh she she's really good fun to have around so i'm like nervous around her because she's hot he is like the hard man but i'm coming in to like rival him and then i just i just did it and i walked away and i was like i've i've given everything i could possibly give but when we got out of the audition sorry, the one before, and there was a lad called Danny, he was auditioning for it as well. When we got out of the the panel audition, when we were in the semicircle, the guy who ran the audition, he got given a lift home by one of the actors who was, who was in the audition, and this lad was in a Porsche. Like, he must have made some serious dough from somewhere. Yeah. But it was just like, I just felt so deflated. I was like, oh, God, they're all friends. And look at him. He's an absolute baller. He, he's probably got loads of TV experience. So I did the the um, the screen test, smashed it. And then I was working in a in a school in, in, in a sixth form in East London. And they were like, they want to see you again. And I was just like, I was like, what more do I have to do to get <laughs> yeah. this job? And then when I got up to the... Um, up to Emmerdale in the studio, they just said to me, they were like, listen, uh, you're not auditioning again. We we want to offer you the job, but we wanted to do it face to face. To which they said, they were like, they said it. And I just stared at them and they were like, are you happy? Because you look, you look pretty confused. And I was just like, I'm just in a world of... You just took me back a bit. Yeah, I just know, my, I just knew my life was going to change. I didn't realise how much it was going to change. But I was like, oh, things are, things are about to take off here. I'm yeah. going to be a full-time actor for the first time ever. Yeah, no, it must feel great. <laughs> Can't wait it to did. feel that for the first time. Um, yeah. 
for the first time now I'm doing other things that I I've only done acting for the last 10 years because you know I I did Emmerdale yeah. I'd saved my money and now I'm having to do other things and it, it, it does feel like I was like oh I'm gutted because I know the papers are going to write a story about it which they do you know I, I I think I joined Bumble a couple of months ago and there was articles about that so I came off it and I was just like you you feel like a little like you, you're being scrutinized for, mm. for doing what everybody else does yeah no it is it's mad and on just on the subject of shit journalism the sun sort yourself out because there's a column that quotes this podcast verbatim and calls it an exclusive when it was me that got the exclusive so sort your fucking shit out it was me that announced that two pints of lager was coming back not you and um stop being fucking dicks oh so is it everything that i've just said that that's going to be a a headline is it it only happens it's maybe happened three or four times Right. Yeah. I mean, it happens every every kind every time I've done a podcast. You know, it, it something gets picked up, and you know, I understand that. You know, they're doing they're doing a job. I'm good with it, but don't claim that it's your fucking exclusive. Yeah, yeah. Like it's my exclusive, bitch. Yeah. Don't not like literally. Don't say that it didn't come from me, and don't say that speaking on a podcast. Susan Nixon said, "Link my fucking podcast. Give me the shout out I deserve." Like, it just, just, just riles me. And do you know what? Some people are genuinely really nice about it. Every time I see one, I phone them straight away and I'm like, here, sort this out. Like, it's not fair. And normally nine times out of 10, they do. The Metro yeah. took a while. They they stole a couple of things. They took a while to give me credit, but eventually did. But fucking the sun will not fucking budge. But going back to EastEnders, another question that I like to ask everyone that's sort of done. Oh, EastEnders, shit, sorry. (laughs) Oh, right, stop. Stop this, right, we're out. Okay, it's over. You blew it. Going back to Emmerdale. Going back to, I don't know, what the fuck was I thinking of there? Um, What's even crazier is, is that when I was on Emmerdale, people would say to me, people I know and loved would say to me, (laughs) have you thought about going on Coronation Street? (laughs) And I'll be like, I'm on it. I'm on it. So what more do you want me to do? It's like my mum said the other day, um, I've got another podcast called Reality TV on record and I talk to reality TV stars and Big Brother's coming back. She was like, yeah, but they need a new host. So why don't you just phone them back and ask them if you can do that instead? And I was like, yeah, it doesn't work like that, Liza. Yeah, it's not quite, you know, thank you for your suggestion. She was like, I believe in you. I think you could do it. And I was like, Thank you, but it's not quite like that. It's like when they say to you, "You ever thought about just like you know doing a film?" It, that is, it's so glad that you said that because uh, I and I, I won't say who it was, but someone had said to me they were like, uh, "Have you thought about doing um, voiceovers through the lockdown?" And, and I was just like, "What? Vo- voiceovers? No, never. What? What is this untapped resource that yeah. I hadn't thought about <laughs> yeah. in the industry that I've been working in since I was nine? No, it's it's so mad. But going back to Emmerdale, um, I'll get it right this time. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I don't know why I said EastEnders. Um, it's but all yeah. right. There's only there's only five of them. <laughs> it's even worse. Um, a question that I always like to ask everybody that's been sort of long running on everything because it doesn't really. If you go on a day job, it's not really going to be significant in like your life. But because you were so long on Emmerdale, do you steal anything from the set? 
Do you keep any oh, mementos? I mean, you get given things when you're leaving. Like you get your first, um, you get your first script, like the first script that you appeared in, like signed. You'll get like a clapperboard and stuff. But no, I mean, no, I didn't steal any. I think, oh, I, I took a lot of costume home with me. Yeah. But that they give you that because it was like it only fits. It only you. fits. You. It was bought bought for you, and it's the only. The funny thing about that is, is when you know, if I like. I had some nice suits, you know, from wedding things and stuff. And they were like, do you want it? But they write your name and everything. So if I ever go to like a wedding and I put my jacket down, it looks like I've just stolen somebody <laughs> called Roxy's jacket. And then I have to go, I was like, no, it was like, it was character clothes. Don't, yeah. don't worry about it. But no, I never, I don't think I took anything. But one, because it's like somebody's job, you know, like there's, there's a whole team of people on props and, and set. The, what does happen though, is because you're in a pub, you're in the, the in the cafe they, it's real food that the that they're serving, and mm. you just get carried away. You know, before you know it, and because the Woolpack does um, sell really, really low percentage lager, yeah, um, because it's it's just so hard to recreate. You know, like the fizziness, and like, you've got to actually pour it. So you're not really supposed. You meant to put it to your mouth and, and sip a little bit, but in between takes, there's food and beer you know just just lying around you so before you know it you're like oh i'm, ch- I'm chugging this i'm eating a f- continuity people are going mad yeah and seven like, chips on that plate seven sausages left <laughs> yeah and you've eaten um, 14 of them <laughs> no it is i just like to ask if anybody because some people have gotten away with some mad stealing and i think it's great um no, I, I mean, not that I would admit, you know, <laughs> on a public forum, knowing that the son, Michael Park, <laughs> steals the wool pack. You were involved in some, like, proper gritty storylines on Emmerdale. Uh, we'll get it right again. Um, you, obviously, you had an affair with, I can't remember our character's name, Verity Rushworth. Is it Donna? Donna Ding. Yeah. Uh, Donna, what was her name? Ho- she was is it Donna, Hope? Donna She's Hope. Bob's daughter, isn't she? Donna Hope. Yeah, yeah, she is. I think he's. I think he was. Uh, he had cross pollination habits, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I don't know. But yeah, I think it was definitely Donna. Anyway, yeah, you had an affair with her. You robbed Home Farm. Your mum was a murderous psycho who tied your brother, your dad up, and all that jazz. And then you sort of one of your final big ones was the acid attack. Yeah. What was your favorite storyline to work on? Oh, Donna, the like the Donna death scene a hundred percent was the was the best thing that, that was when she was over the the multi-story wasn't it dropped off the uh off the car park yeah um that was that was my favorite one it was my first big storyline um verity had come back and it was this weird little thing of like we knew she was leaving so we knew there was like a we knew it was coming to an actual end mm. Most most storylines you know you're working with an actor and and it's like oh it's good for now but then I'll, we'll probably work again in you know, together in two years. This was like yeah. it was coming. It was coming to an end. So when when I filmed the the scenes of when she's just died and Ross has gone back to his his house, I was like really. It was like the day after Verity had left, and I was absolutely gutted. Yeah, like I did. I didn't want her to go. We'd been working so closely. We got on like a house on fire. Um, she's a musical theatre starlet, really, Verity. You know, she's yeah. done she's done so much, way more like advanced stuff than I, I've done like professionally. Um, so, you know, in between sets, you know, it was like 525, you know, <laughs> we were just like, we're, we're like busting yeah. into songs Im- immediately. And she, she, I am actually like, 
a musical theatre kid. Like I, I can be like quite camp and flamboyant mm. and stuff, you know, like just break out into song whenever. And and she's just on on that same wavelength as well. So mm. we just on like a house of fire, a house on fire. What was the hardest one for you to do? Obviously, you spoke about being gutted about Verity leaving and that, but with sort of digging into your acting and being like a professionally proper actor. What was the hardest storyline that you had to tackle? Um, oh, the the acid storyline mm. by, by far, just because it was, you know, we, we were working with people who would, we had um, people who were helping the story team out, you know, and, you know, and going through yeah. like what actually happens and, you know, the procedures of what you need for, you know, the medical procedures and, and stuff. And we had, a, we had a guy who had been, um, he'd had acid thrown in his face, but, and it was a mistaken identity. And he was like br- brutally scarred, you know, like j- unrecognizable yeah. uh, forever. And, um, you know, hearing his stories and then just trying to, to recreate that, but also it, it didn't go quite as extreme as I thought it was going to go when mm-hmm. I first, um, because the, the soaps actually run, especially Coronation Street and ITV, there's a head boss above the producers. Um, And they had, they were like, basically we're going to, that we can, the two storylines that we've got, we're offering it to you is that there's a a male rape story or the acid. And I, I always wanted to do something that had never been done before. Um, So I was like, well, I'll I'll take the acid. And then uh, David Platt on Coronation Street, he ended getting the, the male rape story. And then he ended up winning Best Actor. So I was like, oh, that storyline was offered to me on a different show. Why didn't I take that? But it, Ryan it, Clayton, who talks more about that storyline in episode 43, oh, I think it is. Did, Ryan did it, yeah. I have met I have met Ryan in, in passing at awards dues and, and stuff. Yeah. And it, it was a re- really nice kid. And that was his first job. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember meeting him and my mum... My mum we, you know, was was all over him. She she loved him to pieces. She thought he was so cute. He's a, he's a very handsome, handsome. Lad. See if yeah, I've never thought about this. See if like your family. Uh, is there ever a point where your mum's like, oh, I really like Coronation Street. I kind of want them to win. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like it, it's it, it's hard to deny that they go through waves of like like you know like yeah. storylines of where I don't know you if you're if you're too young to remember the Dirty Den and no, I remember uh, it. Little Den and Sharon on, on EastEnders. It blew, I was so captivated yeah. by that storyline. Then there was ones on, on Tin Ed, on Brookside and, you know. and I'm, I'm too young for Brookside, but. Yeah, a little too young, but there was yeah. like some, I remember. I remember like, like Richard Hillman was my like Richard first, Hillman, one of my first big ones. They go through like phases like where the story's so, so captivating and, you know, and they drop the ball at, at times because it's really hard to do comedy for longer than, you know, you can't do a comedy storyline that lasts more than like two or three episodes, really. Yeah. It's just the comedy dies out of it. So that's why when you turn on a soap, it's always like a depressing cancer <laughs> storyline or someone's losing a baby just because those storylines, they take up so much. Yeah. So there's so much. Um... EastEnders are doing it really well right now, actually, with Gillian Wright, with her bipolar um right. storyline and she's such a talented actress and it's it's gone really well and i know sort of some people that suffer with bipolar in real life and it's so true to life and the stuff that she's doing over there is just fucking it's the only one that i'm watching currently um because i go through stages of i just don't watch if there's not anything decent on it yeah i mean it, they go through phases and you know it, it comes back around you know it go it goes or it comes and it goes it's not something that they 
it's it's really hard to keep up that level of RPMs. You know, there's such yeah. a it's such a machine of of other people working behind you know behind the behind the the um, the state. What is that? What is that expression? Working behind the working behind, behind the scenes. Anyway. Behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, but I with the with the acid storyline that was the hardest one to portray mm. as well, and because I I thought when we first took it on it we were going to go a lot more extreme with what actually happened to Ross. Yeah. you know I thought it was going to like take up a lot more, be a, a bigger more, prosthetic, be a bigger prosthetic, and I mean I understand why they didn't because I would have had to have like you know half my head shaved for a whole year, and then when I'm not in work it, you know it then Looks I'm just. Mike is we're just walking around with a, with a chunk out of his hair. But I also got a few people who were real acid um, victims, like complaining to me that it, it wasn't, you know, quite, you know, what true, what to, they life. Were, true to life and experiencing. And, and that was a really tricky one because I, I wanted to help people and I wanted to, you know, shed some light on it. And then it just wasn't, Mm. quite what these people were experiencing you can't really listen to you know everybody who who says but like that was quite heartbreaking to go oh i, I think you know a few people you know d- disagree yeah. with, with what we're doing mm. but you know that that's so you know we we can't we can't listen you can't to please everyone but if you listen to everybody's opinion then it just mm. it just wouldn't work you didn't die on the show did you no they can't kill me there's nobody yeah. on that show i me. couldn't remember i knew i definitely read it um, do you think you'll ever go back? I'll never say never. You know, it's the fiftieth anniversary. I, I, I would go back. Um, I don't know if I would go back for as long, or I would go back for forever. Do you know? What I mean, mm. it's one of those things. It completely takes your life in a different direction. It's not like I have to re- relocate and you know say goodbye yeah. to my friends. And if I had a family down here, you know, I don't know if I'd be willing to relocate them up up there or yeah. you know. Spend five days a week up there and see them on the week i i really i really don't know but i would definitely be open to to discussion because i love that part it was such a a fun part to play and now that you're in london at the moment would you would you cross enemy lines and go for a little trip to walford i would you know like <laughs> i've got friends who are on eastenders uh, i i would feel like an absolute traitor don't, yeah. don't get me wrong but i know i know it does happen quite a lot jamie lomas had yeah. gone from Hollyoaks to charlie to wernham just done it um but yeah there's loads there's people that will there's obviously your main ones that you will never be like i don't think like david platt could go into emmerdale and play a different no. character or so i think maybe maybe it's maybe it's good that you didn't do more than what you did because you can still go and yeah maybe i mean i look still like ross you know but yeah. when i when i shave when i shave nobody ever i can you know knows it's it's me and, and i am partial to having a mustache so, um, yeah. you know, maybe they could bring me in as like a Freddie Mercury tribute <laughs> yeah, or, or, or something like that. But who knows? Yeah, no, because th- there would be people that would be like quite odd seeing like Gail Platt turn up in Walford under a new yeah. name. I have always wondered why Coronation Street and Emmerdale don't cross their paths. Why not have Ross just like he goes to Manchester and kicks off? Like if they're, they're mm. under the same flagship of ITV, we all know that. Like, I think they did that thing where they did crossover. I think all of the four soaps did like a week where they were talking about things that were happening. Oh, really? I, I don't that, think it went that. down well. Right. So oh, it kind of broke the fourth wall somehow. Yeah, because there was Cindy in Hollyoaks was doing something that was spoken about. That Like it wasn't said like this woman, Cindy. 
um it was like look at this woman from cheshire doing this and there was a thing about the woman on coronation street that had, had like the eight babies or whatever it was and she was spoken about and i don't think it went down too well right okay yeah because it, it would be so good to like have like get all the villain like who wins the ultimate death match yeah. or kane dingle like yeah. who, who the better like bad boy? yeah because they bring in these mad gangsters from other places why couldn't they be like like an Emmerdale storyline where somebody gets involved with drug dealers and it turns out to be the Mitchells. Yeah, I, I think that that would be, you know, quite quite a smart thing to do because I know fr- I know from the pandemic that viewing figures for, and it's not ju- it's not the pandemic. The world is changing. Yeah, you know, like, but the viewing figures go. You know, they go they go up and down. I was like, I think that would be one way to bring in. You know, like yeah. Um, like cross the the viewing figures over like get some people who watch eastenders now watching emmerdale and, vi- and vice yeah. versa i don't watch anything on live tv apart from love island everything else i stream or do catch up right i don't watch those kind of sh- shows love really. island's so good I, I i don't get me wrong like when i've had um you know girlfriends and stuff and they turn it on before i know it i'm like tweeting about it and <laughs> yeah it's awesome if, you, if, you, if you're watching other people worry about their shit, you don't have to worry about your own shit, which is what I like. Um, but we're going to play a game now. We're coming to the end. We're going to play a game, and this game is one of my favourite things in the world. It is one of my favourite games ever. I play this with like my mum when I really shouldn't. It's called okay. Stage Right or Stage Shite, and okay. there's three stories that have been sent in by listeners. Two of them are the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And then okay. one of them is a big fat lie that has been made up by our producer. Um, I've got the answer in a sealed envelope. So I can play along with me with you because these are some of my favourite things ever. And make sure on June 24th, Drama School Dropout, The Ultimate Guide to Stage Right or Stage Shite is available on Amazon. Links will all be down in the show notes below. So make sure to go and check that out and maybe buy it if you want. I don't know. I'm not your boss. Um, do whatever you want with your money. Um, but number one, my boyfriend was once delivered a bouquet of flowers at stage door. They were from his nan and they were sympathy flowers because I had died. I had died on a TV show and someone had mentioned to her in passing that my death was so heartbreaking. She really thought that I had really died and I had not just died on telly. Number two, one student turned up four hours late to his first day of drama school. His excuse was that he accepted the place while he was on holiday in Sydney and that he was still on Sydney time. So technically he wasn't late. (laughs) Right. Okay. Number three. My old mate once phoned me the day of opening night and asked if he could get free tickets to my show. I told him that I only got two comp tickets and I'd gave them to my parents. He then said, well, I've checked online and it's not sold out yet. So can you not just give me one of the unsold seats? When I said no, he called me a wanker and hung up. We didn't speak for a year until I unfollowed him on Instagram when I got a text from him saying that he was sad he'd lost his only follower with a blue tick. I think that's right. I think the middle one is shite. I see. I've been a drama student for five years now and I've had some pretty creative excuses um, for why I'm late. I think number one shite. Like, I'm surely you would know if, you'd, if your grandson's girlfriend had died in real life. I don't, I don't know because I get some... I like, want it to be true. I, I know grandparents, though, and I know other people's grandparents, and, you know, and it's not one of my grandparents, but it is... Uh, an, an elderly person that I know who asked me once uh, I was on a show called Bulletproof and then they asked me which one I was and I was like what they were like who are you playing and I was like me like yeah like 
what do you think I'm playing uh, that Noel Clark is me? <laughs> like, and I was like, yeah. of course, the one who looks like me. Like, <laughs> you know, so I know they ask some pretty, uh, pretty silly questions. So I think, I think number one is right. Number two is shy. And number three is right. Well, I'm going to go for number one. You're going to go for number two. Um, it's all good. We can go our separate ways. I hope number one's right. Like, I hope it's like true because that's just great. But I just feel like it could. Oh, we got it wrong. Number three. Bastard. Bastard. Three. That was too true, though. I feel that when people are like, I've got a show. Well, can I have a ticket for free? No, buy a fucking ticket. I know. it's Everyone's after a freebie, aren't they? We come to the end now, and I've, I've realised I've taken a lot more of your time than you probably anticipated. Don't Where can everyone find you on social media and what's coming up for you next? Where can everybody see you? Well, that's a good point. I actually don't know my own. Your Instagram is MikePar226, and your Twitter is MikeParActor. Yeah, I don't really use Twitter anymore, much, but yeah, Instagram I like to use. Um, I have... I've just done a little bit on an ITV drama, which I'm not allowed to say what it is because it's quite a sensitive subject. I've got a show coming out called Coliseum. That's going to be on the History Channel, which I've got a tiny little part in. I've just shot a pilot, which, fingers crossed, gets picked up. Um, And then I'm going on to do Rita Sue and Bob 2, which is, um, it was a play. Such a great play. Are you doing it? And then it was turned into a film, you know, Andrew Dunbar's. Uh, oh, you doing it on film? I got really excited. No, no, no. I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing the play version in my hometown. Yeah. Oh, where is it? Saint Helens. It's at <gasps> right, Theatre okay. Royal. Yeah, no. I think it'll be, it'll be um, early November. But all any ticket links or anything, everything will be down in the show notes. Go and follow Mike on Instagram. Follow me too at Ingram Noble, all one word. Yes, but thank you so much. I will let you get back to normal life and stop chatting shit to somebody who thinks you're in a different soap than you actually were. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Leave that I'm in. Gonna, I'm going to title this episode um, Mike from EastEnders. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but perfect. Thank you so much. No worries, mate. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. See you Have soon. a nice day. And there we have it, another episode of Drama School Dropout, episode 90 completed. Thank you so much to Michael for coming on the podcast, and make sure to follow us both on social media, which you will find down in the show notes below. And if you're feeling extra generous, please leave a rating and a review on the podcast. It helps us out so much you don't even know, and it's free. So why bloody not? And please make sure to subscribe so that you get all of the notifications. It really helps us out, like you don't know how much... It actually really helps. If you have a story for Stage Right or Stage Shite, please email us at dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com and remember that you can now become an official Drama School Dropout by signing up to our Patreon using the link in the show notes below. I'll be back again next week with a brand spanking episode. Remember, every Tuesday, 7am, or is it 6? I can't really remember. It's one of the two, while I'm still asleep anyway. But have a great week. Stay safe. I love you. Drama school dropout, no graduation day for you. Drama school dropout, thought your whole course, now try something new.